Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Is that the full poop? Nothing but the poop. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, July 27, 2022, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 556 of the Biden-Harris administration, 100 days until the 22 midterms. 100 days. Get ready. Find me on Instagram, the Bob Seska, Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go, and our Patreon page is bobseskashow.com. All right, get yourself a beverage, maybe some snacks, or if you're in the car, settle in for an hour with the great Donna Halper. You might know Donna from such podcasts as the Rush Fans Deep Dive podcast and political shows such as this one. If you're just joining us, Donna's a good friend of mine, and back in 1974 when she was the music director at a radio station called WMMS in Cleveland, she discovered a then little-known Canadian rock band called Rush, my favorite band in the entire universe. So today, Donna and I are going to talk about the DOJ's investigation into Trump, as well as the news media, talk radio. We'll analyze the lyrics for a Rush song called The Trees and what perhaps Neil Peart was saying about equality with that classic parable from the band's early days. Links in the description to support Donna's writing projects and a whole lot more. Meantime, if you like what you hear today, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at patreon.com slash Show. All right, get ready. Donna Halper's here. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. There she is. Hi. There he is. There they is. There baby Yoda is. There the guys in the band are. I mean, what's not to like? Yes, the gang's all here. Perfect. I'm all right. telling you, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, it's so great to talk to you again, Donna. I'm so glad. Oh, my you God. You kidding me? What a privilege. What do you do during your summers, Donna? How do you keep busy uh, when you're not teaching? How do I keep busy? Me? <laughs> yeah. Really? Um, let's see. I do a ton of freelance writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I write for Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research, and folks can find a lot of my work on Sabre. Uh, I do a lot of research into the Negro Leagues. Um, I do a lot of research into early women in baseball. 
Um, and yes, there were women who tried to play baseball as far back as the 1860s. Yeah. And I just had a journal article published about that. Um, so I do, like I said, um, I write for Radio World magazine. Um, I write for the broadcast desk. Hello, I can't even talk today. The broadcast <laughs> desk reference. Mm -hmm. Easy for me to say. Um, <laughs> but the um, kinds of work that I do are either baseball oriented or broadcasting oriented. Um, I have done some other stuff that people asked me to, but long story short, um, the people that know me know that I have a ton of autoimmune diseases and I was uh. kind of born with them and they basically leave me in pain 24 seven. And because I don't do narcotics, nor have I ever, I yeah. mean, I do remember the 60s, but um, I just was never into any of that stuff. And yep. so the way I manage the pain that I'm frequently in is keeping busy. Oh, wow. So um, in addition to doing the writing and the research and stuff like that, I also uh, do volunteer work. I'm the advocate for an adult with autism and I've right, right. been uh, helping take care of him for 35 years by the grace of God. So, um, you know, other than that, um, and I get to be on your show. Which, <laughs> That's right. No, I'm serious. That means so much to me. It is such a privilege to be able to talk oh, politics oh. and current events. I mean, I also do a lot of rush deep dives, which oh, are yeah. wonderful. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that later. You and I were on one together. Mm -hmm. That was know? so much fun. Yes, in, in fact, we're oh, going to yeah. we're going to talk about the Rush song, The Trees, a little oh, later on in the show, because the mo one of the most recent Rush deep dives on the Rush Fans podcast was uh, an analysis of the album Hemispheres. And there's a song on that album called The Trees that has a very distinct political uh, social aspect to it. And we're going to talk about that and what Neil Peart, who wrote the lyrics, was trying to get uh, across with these uh, with this particular song. And and truthfully, I have gotten into numerous discussions with Rush fans yeah. about what the lyrics to various songs mean. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to Neil about it, which I did, um, when I talked to Neil about it, he was fine about that. You yeah, know, like yeah. let a thousand flowers bloom. <laughs> the goal of the band was always to promote critical thinking. Right. So I often, people say to me like, oh no, it couldn't possibly have meant X. It must have meant Y. And I'm like, that's fine. If you can find in the lyrics, you know, I mean, I am a professor of media analysis and media criticism, but I got my start teaching literature yeah and yeah. i regard rush songs as literature mm -hmm, okay absolutely. i really do the best songwriters and there are many neil was not the only one but the best songwriters they're writing poetry mm -hmm, yes and it is absolutely permissible to mm. take a shakespearean sonnet and say oh no 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 this obviously why not mm -hmm, the only mm -hmm. thing is if you can find it in the text. Very often people yeah. want to put stuff in there that isn't there. I see this in political discourse all the time. Well, well what he meant was, 
okay, fine. Would you find that in what he just said? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm just not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this morning, uh, the Senator from Louisiana, uh, Mr. Kennedy, no relation to JFK or oh, any yeah. of those folks. Yeah. Did the the usual talking point about you know well, Merrick Garland wants to prosecute parents who complain at school board meetings? Hey, no, no, what? no, yeah. no. Let me be real clear about that. No, no. Um, no. He didn't say that. Every fact checker's head explodes every mm-hmm. time that talking point gets trotted out. What Garland said, like him or hate him, go back to the text. What Merrick Garland said was parents have every right to protest what school board meetings are doing. What they don't have the right to do is to threaten violence or to, you know, say you're going to kill someone or, you know, if you don't take this book out of the library, I'll come to your house and kidnap your children. No, that is not protected speech. Mm -hmm. That is not legitimate protest. That's like saying that like January 6th would just like, oh, it was a tourist visit. No. (laughs) So (laughs) if that's your frame of reference, Mm -hmm. well, I suppose you love that talking point. But the fact is, like him or hate him, Merrick Garland never said he was going to arrest parents who complain about the school board. Never said it. He said violence. No. And that's the entire difference. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Go back to the text. If you can find in the text that Neil said, "Mm, fine with me, we just have a legitimate difference and we can agree to disagree. See, that's why I love being on your show. And I'm not saying this like, oh, I'm some shill. I'm being honest with you, okay? (laughs) You and I are in many ways similar politically. Yes. But whether we are or whether we aren't, we have different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a Jewish female. You're, last time I checked, not a Jewish female. I mean, <laughs> Me you too. know, stranger yeah, things yeah. have been known to happen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, um, of so we're going to look at certain issues differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. Each of us filters particular events differently. Like I have a friend in Tennessee. I've mentioned her to you before. She's wonderful. I adore her. She's my right wing fact check. When I want to know what conservative Trump supporters are thinking, I ask her. Mm -hmm. And conversely, when she wants to know what blue state liberals are thinking, because given the bubbles that all of us often find ourselves in, where our neighborhoods, our friends, even our jobs, it's like we tend to coalesce around people who share our views. That's That's both good and bad. The good news is, oh, I've got a lot of people that say, hey, you're right about that. But the bad news is, I never hear any other perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about people slinging insults on YouTube. I'm talking about like, Tell me honestly why you think X is not good. And so that's what we do. I mean, she and I will talk about, well, what's wrong with X? So last week, Doug Mastriano, the candidate for governor in Pennsylvania, made some statement 
about how, you know, we're going to promote Christianity. Now, I'm quoting him badly, but that was the general gist. Yeah, it's a video on, uh, or an ad that he paid for on Gab, right? Yep, yep. And big applause line when he did it, when he gave it in person, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, we're a Christian nation and this and that. Now, my friend, who is in fact an evangelical Christian, says to me, basically, well, what's wrong with saying that? And I'm like, honey, that ain't good for the Jews, Mm -hmm. okay? It's also not good for Muslims. It's also not good for Hindus, Buddhists, and many kinds of Christians who are not evangelical, okay? Because the founding fathers, while they were all Christian, they were all different kinds of Christians. That's right. And many of them had been persecuted in England for being the wrong kind of Christian. And that's why they decided, although they could have created a Christian nation, they decided Congress will make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's right. So fine with me if you want to be an evangelical Christian. Terrific. Just don't impose it on me. And in fact, your guy, John Adams, who's from your neck of the woods, (laughs) famously wrote in the Treaty of Tripoli that in no way was the United States founded as a Christian nation. That is is documented, that is signed by an actual founding father of the United States. And that's what bothers me Mm -hmm. about this line of reasoning where a lot of folks want there to be homeschooling where they use a particular curriculum. Now, again, I'm not dissing homeschooling for everybody that is busy throwing something at their monitor right now. Like, you know, (laughs) how dare you? I was homeschooled and I loved it. Not talking to you. Talking to the people who are using a particular curriculum, which I have seen, Mm -hmm. that is riddled with things that are demonstrably false, including, well, the founding fathers really wanted America to be a Christian nation. I know they actually did not. But my friend, she was like, but, 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 you know, we're a Christian nation. We're supposed to. I said, wrong answer. So this is a difference of interpretation, but there is a large segment of the country that applauds when people like Doug Mastriano or Marjorie Taylor Greene, what's wrong with Christian nationalism? Uh, Let me count the ways. Oh God. Okay. Where, Mm -hmm. Where will we, where should we begin? Okay. So if that's where we're going, that's not going to be good. And one of the things Neil and I discussed, and we never discussed Christian nationalism, I'd be lying if I said we did. But one of the things we discussed was that whole thing about his mind is not for rent to any God or government. Mm-hmm. A lot of people heard that as anti-religion. Nah, it was anti-marching in long lockstep because your pastor or your preacher or your political God, whoever you worship. Oh, well, they said blah, blah, blah. So it must be true. Yeah. Yeah. It just gave your mind over to somebody else. Always fact check the quotes, but always think about it. And that's the thing that my friend and I, people are like, how can you be friends with someone who like, is mean? and I'm like, best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't hear the other 
then I'm doing the same thing that I'm accusing them of, okay? I'm accusing them of, well, you're not even considering me. Oh, wait, I never even talked to someone who believes that to try to find out, well, why do they believe it? And yeah, I'm probably going to come away not agreeing. But I still think it's useful for us to at least talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we got into quite the debate uh, online um, amongst folks who were like, well, Neil would never have said blah, blah, blah about the trees. Um, How do you know he wouldn't have? Yeah, He was in a different time, a different space. He was much younger. He was a younger man. I don't know about you, but some of my views are different now from how they were when I was, hey, Bobby, do you believe the same things you believed 30 years ago? I would try to bury everything that I wrote prior to like the age of 39. Everything before that, if I could burn it all, I would. Yep. Oh, I look back at some of my early writings and I'm like, you. Yeah. I hope this stuff never surfaces. Um, There's a reason why famous people, including Martha Washington, okay, George Washington's what? Martha, she burned a lot of their correspondence. And it wasn't because, oh my God, she didn't want people to know about their little love. No, it was just like, she was embarrassed about some of the stuff that was exchanged between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And she just felt like if other people get their hands on this, it's not going to be good because they're going to yeah. take it out of context. And that's what people do. We talked about the Merrick Garland quote. People mm-hmm. rip stuff from its context to try to make their own point. Yeah, and quite, so, no. quite honestly, Donna, I'm seeing a lot of that today. And we're going to come back to the trees because I definitely want to do our own little deep dive into that song because there's a lot of things that I yes. think overlap yes. with you know things that Absolutely. are current and modern. But... Um, and forgive me if I'm taking you off into the weeds here. I mean, no, that's I'm okay. A horrible guest. You should never have. No, you're guest. you're one of the the greatest guests. Absolutely. But oh. here's the thing: I'm seeing a lot of that sort of cherry picking on social media, and this is something uh, I've witnessed for a long uh, time. But there's a specific series of events here with the Department of Justice investigating Donald Trump, or yes, as people yes. have been saying for the last couple of years, oh, they're not doing anything. But what I'm yes. seeing a lot of are people picking and choosing what headlines they want to emphasize based on their social media narrative. Rather than following the facts, they're following their personal branding online. Absolutely. And there's something else going on here too. Okay. When I was growing up back in the era when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, (laughs) um, but, but that's my point. It wasn't that long ago. It feels like it was because things have changed so much. But when I was growing up, let's take, Dwight D. Eisenhower, okay? He was not my favorite president. I mean, years later, I'm a lot more charitable to him because he seems moderate compared to what there is today. (laughs) But, you know, so Dwight D. Eisenhower was expected by the customs of his day to go on the talk shows, the political talk shows. Now, agreed, the political talk shows back then were very different from today because we still had the fairness doctrine. Mm-hmm. So like it or hate it, both sides had to be presented. So you didn't have one person screaming about the Democrats and the other person screaming about the Republicans. But my point is this, whatever the equivalent of meet the press or face the nation were back in those days, 
you had to go on those shows. Yeah. You were expected to submit yourself for questioning to any reporter from any publication, from TV, from radio, Donna, what's your point? My point is today, if you're a Republican candidate, you only talk to Fox News. Mm-hmm. And I, no offense to Fox News. Yes, they do have a couple of very good reporters. Let's not diminish the hard work of the John Roberts or Brett Baer faction of the universe. But the news department at Fox News is tiny. Mm-hmm. It is mostly opinion. Study after study shows that 95% of what is on Fox News, it's not a fake number, 90 to 95% is hard right, pro-Trump opinion. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But my point is, if you're a politician and you're only going on friendly media, no one is ever going to challenge you. No one is ever going to say, wow, that policy? Ew. I mean, pulling books out of libraries, Governor DeSantis? Why are you pulling? I mean, that's censorship. I thought you guys were against censorship. I thought you guys were like in favor of freedom, but you just you know, ordered books to be banned. Mm -hmm. How is that freedom? Oh, well, those books say, no, you wanted math books banned because they talked about sharing and that's like social, emotional learning. We can't have that. (laughs) So you get this list of books you want. No, that conversation will never get had because Governor DeSantis and most other Republican politicians are still only going on friendly media. And Dwight D. Eisenhower is spinning in his grave. (laughs) Even George W. Bush, who I personally, I'm sorry, worst president of my lifetime. You don't have to apologize for, you don't have to apologize for saying that. (laughs) You know, I mean, I I just didn't know when I was well off, but, Mm. um, but the reality is even George W. Bush was questioned by the New York Times, the Washington Post, very, yes, indeed. But you don't see that now. Okay, we can all applaud Pete Buttigieg for going on Fox News. But could we also applaud some Republicans who go on the Rachel Maddow show? And she'd have them. She'd have them in a minute. Oh, yeah. yeah. A very fair interview, but they won't go. And I know this for a true fact. And I think we're all the poorer because of it, Mm -hmm. because people are only hearing that back to what you just said, Bobby, the branding. People are only hearing the brand of their guy or their team. And they're only hearing about the other side in caricatures, stereotypes. Well, that's so typical of the left. How do you know what's typical of the left? You won't talk to us. Here's another more specific example. And sadly, it's happening among what I refer to as normals, where you have this news in the past 24 hours. Washington Post broke this huge story that, in fact, the Department of Justice has been investigating Donald Trump's part in the uh, seditious conspiracy to overthrow Congress and, uh, you know, disrupt the peaceful transfer. And by the way, it was a very, very reputable reporter. Oh, God, yeah. Carol Lennig. Carol Lennig. Uh, who has co-written a couple of books. I mm-hmm. mean, she she knows her politics. Gold standard. She's yeah. not a shill. She really knows her stuff. So when she writes stuff, I stop what I'm doing and I read. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Well, for months now, I would say since uh, Joe Biden was inaugurated, in fact, there's been this drive on the left to kind of say, 
well, Department of Justice isn't going to do anything about Donald Trump and his participation right. in the insurrection. Right. And we don't know that. And, and, we well, don't know that. And, and what we do know, though, is that the news has indicated, at least for the past six, seven months, going back to the beginning of the year, that there have been federal grand juries that are impaneled investigating Absolutely. people like Peter Navarro, and they requ- yes. they subpoenaed documents from Peter Navarro about his communications with Donald Trump. There are all kinds of indications, if you read carefully enough, beyond the headlines, showing that, yeah, DOJ has kind of been looking into Donald Trump, and now we finally get full confirmation of that with four sources from Carol Lennig and her team. But there are still people I'm noticing on social media today who are saying, well, he just started today, and I don't yeah. believe see, this. And see, it's like, rule number one. Yeah, and you and I know this because we've been around the block a few times. All <laughs> right. Rule number one in media analysis is be fair to the facts. Yes. But rule number two is don't get out in front of the facts. In other words, just because you don't know X, that doesn't mean X isn't happening. Bingo. Merrick Garland, like him, hate him, or whatever. He, by the way, opinion, I think he would have made a wonderful Supreme Court judge, and mm-hmm. shame on Mitch McConnell for not even letting him have a hearing, okay? An up or down vote, I could have lived with, okay? If, if my friends on the right would have looked at Merrick Garland, a truly fair jurist, okay? And if they would have looked at him, oh, he's a shill, we don't want him on the Supreme Court. I could have lived with it. I would have disagreed, but at least the guy got an up or down vote. He never even got an up or down vote. I think that's outrageous. And the reasoning of, oh, you know, it's too close to the election. It was a year. Yeah. Okay. But when Amy Coney Barrett, you know, three weeks, fine with us. Of course. So the yeah. hypocrisy is stunning. Editorial over. Back to Merrick Garland. <laughs> if you look, and everyone can because it's public information. If you look at Merrick Garland's career as a judge, and he was a judge for a long time, mm-hmm. so he has a record, very fair, very nonpartisan, but he's not a bomb thrower, so you probably never saw a lot of his stuff. Yeah. The, yeah. the way social media is, it like it loves on both sides. It loves the provocateurs. It loves the bomb throwers. It loves the people that say controversial. That that ain't Merrick Garland. Mm-hmm. I don't think Merrick Garland has said a controversial thing in his life. It's just, <laughs> I'm serious. It's mm-hmm. just not his style. He's a very, look up the cases that he tried and even the partisan cases that he tried. The opposing attorney came away feeling like, wow, he really gave me a fair hearing. Fair is the word that is applied to this guy throughout his career, okay? Donna, what's your point? My point is you wouldn't know what he's looking at because he's not the kind of guy that heads to MSNBC or, you know, picks up another show. It's just not Merrick Garland. So just because we don't know what DOJ is doing doesn't mean they're doing nothing. Unfortunately, what we want, all of us on the left and the center left, what we want is instant action. Like, can't you see that X is true? Well, that's just not how Merrick Garland has ever worked. He always tries to just 
look at the case, build the case, be fair to the facts, and then make his decision. Mm -hmm. Now, not going to lie. Do I hope he indicts Donald Trump speedily and soon and in your lifetime? Okay, (laughs) just because of him subverting the Constitution, causing the injury and death of police officers, refusing to call the Capitol Police and then lying and saying it was Nancy Pelosi. Can we put on the table one more time just because people need to remember it? The District of Columbia is not a state. The mayor of D.C. could have lit herself on fire and it wouldn't have made a difference. Nancy Pelosi could have screamed and hit herself for 40 minutes, wouldn't have made a difference. The only people that can call out the Capitol Police in the District of Columbia, the president. Yes, of course. Honest, the president. Mm -hmm. And he refused to do it. So given all the evidence, that he subverted the Constitution, given all the evidence that he tried to overthrow the government and deny the peaceful transfer of, oh yes, the happiest day of my life would be if he's indicted. That would be swell. But you know what? I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV, but I have a lot of friends who are lawyers and they say, Merrick Garland's trying to build a case. Mm-hmm. And while you and I see the bomb throwing and see the, you know, the absolute, oh my God, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, but he needs a certain standard of evidence before he can act, or it just looks like a partisan political act like we had in the previous administration. Oh yeah, that's why it's so crucial that now that the you know, Red Hat Entertainment Complex, their Eye of Sauron is now focused squarely on Merrick Garland. It's so important that he has remained nonpartisan. He hasn't been throwing all of these bombs on cable news, just like you were saying. He's maintained, yeah, this neutral posture, which makes him Teflon, which makes him unattackable. They're going to go after him anyway, but they're not going to have anything to go after him. When Lester Holt interviewed him, Lester Holt tried 19 different ways to get (laughs) him. Yes, he did. (laughs) Nope. And Merrick Garland wasn't having it. Mm -hmm. Now, agreed, the folks on the left are jumping up and down, like, can't you see? Uh, He may very well see, because you don't know what stuff he has. You don't know what has been turned over to the grand jury. You don't know unless you are on that grand jury, in which case you're sworn to secrecy, but you don't know what the case, you don't know the phone, the text messages, you haven't seen it all. Mm -hmm. And in this regard, The January 6th committee has done a great service to the public by showing people some of what there is. But I'll bet you that the Department of Justice has more. Yeah. And I'll bet you that if a case is being made, it ain't going to be on the front pages of the paper until it's ready. Remember that old... uh, wine commercial serve no wine before it's time before it's time (laughs) that's going to be on merrick garland's tombstone Mm -hmm. okay i mean he would not let a case go forward until it was ready that's him and there's a reason why grand juries are secret 
until they're not, of course. But yeah. most of the time, grand Absolutely. juries are secret, especially when you're investigating people who could potentially be a flight risk. And I would Absolutely. categorize Donald Trump as being a flight risk. Hell yes. I mean, I can completely imagine him flying off to some non-extradition nation, and he Absolutely. has the jet. He can do this. He can, you know, hide from the law sure. if he wants to. And so that's why it was so important to keep this as under wraps as possible. Even and then, for someone who yeah. clearly has demonstrated that they have no respect for the rule of law. That's right. Okay, He talks a great game, but when it comes down to like, what did he do? Like rule number one in covering politics. And you and I know this for a true fact. Mm -hmm. Watch what they do, not what they say. That's right. Because politicians on both sides are famous for coming to the camera. Oh yes, I believe X. And then you look at their voting record, they voted against it. <laughs> so if they believed it, why didn't they vote for it? That's right. So I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, Donald Trump says he believes in law and order. Ooh, I don't think he'd stick around if he thought he was going to be indicted. I just—I don't know, think call so me either. Crazy, but yeah. I just don't think he'd stick around. Nope, nope, nope. All right, let's talk about the after party here for just one second. Every Friday, Kimberly Johnson and I record a fourth Bob Seska show podcast for the week, but this one's totally different from the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. The Friday after party podcast is loaded with all the politics you want, while also including uncensored, completely obscene conversations about sex, drugs, movies, television, our personal lives. All the stuff we can't get away with on the free show. So please help support this podcast by subscribing to our Friday After Party for just $10 per month. And wait, bonus, you're also going to get two Shadow Docket episodes every week included in that level of support. So you get the After Party podcast on Fridays, plus the Shadow Docket on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's bobseskashow.com, or just click the all-caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. Thank you. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. As a media expert, I'd love to get your take on the televised 1-6 committee hearing so far. Pretty sharp, huh? I think they've done a fine job. And what they understood is something that you and I both know, okay? We sit on this wonderful podcast, okay? Mm -hmm. And we talk about the issues of the day in depth. Yeah. Our listeners, our viewers, same way. They're like, oh, yeah, you talked about X policy, but you also could have talked about Y policy. But to the average person, they're like, what policy? Yeah. I, it's, you know, I mean, I, it was a tourist visit. I, it's, you know, I mean, uh, Antifa. 
uh, the Black Lives Matter, uh, the, the FBI, uh, the Jewish space laser. Uh, you know. <laughs> Thank so, you for mentioning that one. Thank you for mentioning oh, God, the Jewish space laser. I have mine laser. right here. I, do we I have see. video or do we just have audio? Because if we had video, I could show you my Jewish space laser. Well, it's just okay. audio, but I would love to see it. Yeah. Uh, oh, there oh, they I, are. We all have one. I mean, <laughs> I mean, who does not? Okay. Who among us does not? Right. All right. So, I mean, this is just, you're born with it, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, because I was born this way. Um, <laughs> that having been said, though, um, I think that the hearings were designed for people who are not political junkies like you and me. Exactly. Okay? I've seen people on social media complaining about, oh, my God, it's so obvious. Everybody knows. And I had to stop them and go, to you, it's obvious. To me, it's obvious. But these hearings were designed for the folks who haven't been watching Pick One, CNN, MSNBC, reading every page of the Washington Post, mm-hmm. yada, yada. They've just kind of been, you know, in and out. Like maybe they don't think it was a tourist visit. Maybe they do know there was some violence, but they don't know the whole ins and outs. They just know whatever talking points they may have heard from their side. And the reality is most people haven't been paying that much attention until recently. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're paying attention at all now is because of how well constructed the hearings were, not just for television, but for the fact that you could chop them up, make little segments of them on YouTube, make little segments of them on Twitter or Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So now it's getting into the discourse. Here's the problem. One particular cable network, hum, I wonder which one it is, <laughs> hasn't broadcast most of the hearings and has basically denied the existence of them. Yep. So it's kind of baked into the cake that there's a large swath of people who do, in fact, still believe that it was a tourist visit and that Pelosi could have called out the National Guard and Antifa. And So how do you get through to them? Maybe you don't. But there's also a group of Americans who just are undecided. They don't know what to think or what to believe. And I think it was really aimed at them Mm -hmm. as well as reinforcing to the rest of us, democracy matters. And whatever side you're on, if you're not pro-democracy, then you're a dictatorship waiting for a place to happen. And I would say that no matter which side, okay? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like, I, I don't care who the leader is. I don't want a dictatorship. No, thank you. So that having been said, I thought the hearings did a very commendable job of making the case step by step with some videos, with some audio, with some really compelling testimony and some that kind of put me to sleep. But the fact Mm -hmm. is, again, it wasn't designed for me. Yeah. It was designed to make this understandable. And one last time, if somebody, I am so tired of the, oh, it was a, it was a partisan witch. You got two Republicans on the committee. Now, you may not like those Republicans because they're never Trumpers, but they're Republicans. They voted Republican all their lives. Many of them have even voted with Trump. But in this regard, they came over to this select committee because they believe in democracy and my hats off to them, whether I agree with them on other issues or not, they put their own careers on hold and in danger 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Liz Cheney will lose her primary. I promise you. Okay. Unless there's a miracle. Adam Kinzinger has already looked at the writing on the wall and said, I'll run some other time. I'm mm -hmm. not going to run right now. But the fact is they decided country first. And that's why the folks at the Lincoln Project don't bother me. And that's why the folks at uh, the Bulwark and various other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe mm -hmm. I don't agree with the dispatch. Maybe I don't agree with them on most issues, but they're pro-democracy. And yeah. we need to get, get our arms around the fact that we almost lost our democracy. Mm -hmm. And God bless the select committee for making it understandable to the average person how close we came to losing our democracy. And I don't need to tell you, Donna, but the news media has an approval rating that is probably at an historic low. It's, I would say, what is it, in the teens, in the 20s? I think dandruff it's, is more popular, as I recall. <laughs> it's, um, it's bad. Acne, acne perhaps. It's yeah, right down yeah. there with acne. And whether we like that or not, the fact is that most Americans distrust the news media. So having facts come from the investigators is so crucial right now to making a case for this because people generally, and we're talking about the, the folks, the folks who don't necessarily follow politics the way you and I do, um, they're only casually observing these things. And they're casually observing them through the filter of a news media that they by and large distrust. So hearing these information and, these and through the filter and forgive me for interrupting. I'm a horrible person. I'm my worst <laughs> no, head. you're not. It's um, fine. But just as I think of stuff, I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, I better say it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as they are listening to it or watching it or, or reading about it, they are using a media that is still committed to both sidesism. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, Biden said this, so Trump said that, and this one said this, and that one said that. And the reality is one of these things is not like the other. Mm -hmm. Biden on his worst day has never tried to overthrow our democracy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, comparing some gaffe that Biden made, and Biden's been a gaffe machine since he was born. Okay. I mean, the guy's a stutterer. He's not the greatest public speaker. Uh, when he opens his mouth, frogs jump out. And he says, <laughs> Sorry, the guy isn't a great speaker. No, he's right? not. Yeah. People have been talking but, about that for 40 years now, by the way. Oh, my God. But the fact still remains, even on his worst day. He didn't try to overthrow our democracy. And yet the media will take some gaffe that Biden made and compare it to, you know, and I just, it drives me nuts. Yeah. So I understand that journalists have been trained, said Donna, who used to be a journalist. Journalists have been trained to be fair to the facts. And for many people, being fair to the facts means, well, if one side says X, then you try to find the other side that says Y, mm -hmm. rather than... Sometimes some facts just need to be put out there and you don't have to try to find an other side to it because there is no other side. That's right. Trying to overthrow our democracy using violent means. I'm sorry. That's bad. OK, mm -hmm. it's bad. Yeah. End of story. We're done. The end. But if you're getting your sources from the mainstream media, which is still operating as if it were like 20 or 30 years ago. It's not 20 or 30 years ago. A lot of things have changed. The way the media often report politics has not changed. 
I'm not asking my media colleagues to be partisan shills. Please don't. We got way too many of those in the commentary. Yes, we do. But I still would like to see the mainstream media call a spade a spade, as it were, mm-hmm. okay? As opposed to calling it a, you know, a rose bush. No, it's a spade. It's a garden thingy that you, yeah. The truth is that the violent overthrow of a government is a bad thing. The truth is that lying about who won the election is a lie. And yet look at how many how many months it took for most reporters to call what Mr. Trump was saying a lie. Yeah. He didn't win the election. There wasn't widespread voter fraud. There wasn't like busloads of voters coming in. For, none of that happened. And yet most of my media colleagues, well, an untruth, I mean, an alternative fact. I, I try a lie, but if you've been trained that you're only supposed to be neutral all the time, no matter what, that causes people to just be like, ew, I, wait a minute, looks like a lie to me. Yeah. So yeah. so I think the media have really struggled. And, and one last thing about this. People have been complaining about the media since George Washington. Oh, yeah. This is not new, okay? I'd love to tell you, oh, my God, the media are more unpopular than they've ever. Yeah, that's probably true. And there has been a downward trend since Watergate. Okay, fine. But if your partisan media tells you relentlessly not to trust the media, which I always find amusing when Sarah Palin was like, don't trust the lamestream media. Honey, where are you spreading that message? The most oh, wait, popular cable the network. media. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's very self-serving. Yeah. And the truth yeah. is, every day, there are many, many hardworking, honest reporters who are doing God's work under very difficult circumstances. They're getting death threats. They're getting their lives threatened, their livelihoods, their family. It's an outrageously difficult time to be doing journalism. And yeah, there still are fact-based sources and I commend them and I applaud them. And from a media analysis point of view, what we're seeing right now with the televised 1-6 committee hearings is kind of illustrating why C-SPAN is such a wonderful resource for us to have. Once again, we're getting the information firsthand, directly from the people doing the investigations, conducting the hearings. Yeah. Yep. Now they may try to walk it back, but this is what they said. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what they do, but pay attention to what they say, because it may show you some trends. Yeah. And I always find it funny going back to what you were saying about uh, the lamestream media and people like Sarah Palin criticizing the news media from their platform. Criticizing the very thing that made her a star. Well, and also the fact that the most popular cable news network is Fox News Channel and that Sarah Palin's fanboys all run Every radio station on the AM dial, you know this as well as anyone. Absolutely. AM radio, Um, 99% of the AM radio dial is all conservative talk shows. Absolutely. Democrats were very late to the party. And by the time Mm -hmm. they realized what had happened, most of the good signals and most of the good stations had been pretty much bought up by conservative owners. Now, again, fine with me, love me some capitalism, but it's not a level level playing field. My friend from Tennessee, pretty much all that's available to her is right-wing media. Now, 
one more time. Let a thousand flowers bloom. I did not say let's ban right wing media. Didn't say it. But I did say it's not good for democracy to have entire parts of the country where that is all people here over and over day after day without ever hearing the other side. Mm -hmm. Okay. It makes it much easier to caricature and stereotype us. Okay. And on some smaller level, we may be doing the same thing to them. Okay. It is not true that every single Trump supporter is a raving lunatic, crazy bigot. That That's, oof, I hate it every time I hear that. There's as much variety among Republicans as there are amongst Democrats. Unfortunately, however, we have all retreated to our little corners and we're living with a lot of the stereotypes. Whereas when I was growing up, you tried to get together to try to find common ground where you could collaborate. I'm not seeing as many of those opportunities anymore. Yeah, and I'd I'd love to get your perspective on this. Why doesn't liberal talk radio on the AM dial work as successfully as conservative talk radio? Well, first of all, I want to do a shout out, not just because you're a guest on that show and I've never been and I'm so sad. Um, <laughs> Stephanie Miller. Stephanie Miller. Yes. She's one Stephanie. of the great ones. Yeah. Okay. Um, the late Ed Schultz. Mm-hmm. Ed Schultz had a very successful liberal talk show, very profitable. I know this for a true fact. Okay. I wrote a couple of articles about it. There, Tom Hartman. Tom Hartman has been making money doing liberal talk for years. Yeah. The problem, however, is partially when the Fairness Doctrine ended, most folks that immediately saw the possibility were conservative. Mm-hmm. They grabbed up the good signals. They grabbed up the good stations and they put their programming on it. Now, unfortunately, and this is going to sound awful and I'm not criticizing my right wing friends. I'm really not. OK, but unfortunately, hate sells. Right. Okay? I am not calling righties haters. That isn't what I just said. But it is a well-known fact that if you can create a program that generates outrage and anger and this and that, and oh my God, look at what those crazy lefties are doing. And oh my God, they're so terrible. And it's a nice, easy sell. You give people an enemy, you give them someone to hate, and then you spend two hours hating on them. And you bring in people that distort what they said, and you make people like the squad feel like they're running their Democratic Party. And oh my God, the police are getting defunded in every city, and they're taking away our guns. And just you take all of these extreme points of view. It's great political theater. Mm-hmm. Democrats have never really done anything like that. Democrats, the Democratic message, if there is one, is much more nuanced. There are so many different kinds of Democrats, and they've never coalesced around any one particular message. Okay, whereas my friends on the right, they pretty much have coalesced around a particular view of conservatism, which caused a number of moderate conservatives and libertarian conservatives, including Neil, to leave. Mm -hmm. Neil identified. Now, Neil Peart was Canadian. He couldn't vote in America anyway. But he identified with libertarian Republicans. He really did. He told me straight up. But he also said 
The reason that he stopped identifying with them was he couldn't relate to the cruelty, the harshness, the meanness, okay, of a lot of the policies. He came to understand that the playing field wasn't level, and he referred to himself in the 90s and early 2000s as a bleeding heart libertarian. Right. Okay. He became very charitable, contrary to what most people think about him. But the reality is that when it was just libertarian conservatism, kind of like Ayn Rand, like every person for themselves, he was fine about it. Yeah. When it started becoming like, let's keep the immigrants out and let's hate on this group and that group. And the whole problem with society is the gays. And so Neil was like, you count me out. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And that's where he just diverged from it. And I think that that's what the never Trumpers came to believe as Mm -hmm. well. It was like, yeah, we like some of the economic policies, but the hating on different groups of people, not for us. Yeah. But here again, the hating on different groups of people makes for political theater, and that's a nice, easy kind of radio to do. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do it during the Fairness Doctrine. You really couldn't. But now that there's no rules about it, you can just get out there and say whatever, and unless you call for someone's death, pretty much the FCC will not arouse itself from its slumber and tell you not to do that. So everything becomes a giant commercial for a certain kind of republicanism that isn't necessarily good for democracy, but is great for ratings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my hot theory about it all. The Stephanie Millers of the world, the Ed Schultzes of the world, the Tom Hartmans of the world. Yeah, they're making money, but they're not making it by being mean and unkind and nasty. Yeah. Okay. Stephanie's got a great sense of humor. Love her dearly. I've seen her in concert. She's a really good performer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And her show is entertaining, but it's not mean. Okay. It's sarcastic. It's snarky. Yeah. But I have never heard her spend two hours hating on a certain group of people. I just, it's just not how she does her show. So long story short, I think Radio is better suited today. Talk Mm -hmm. radio is better suited to a simpler kind of message, a message that gets people outraged. And Republicans have become masters of that kind of show, much to the detriment to our democracy. Yeah, and I shudder as to where that's leading, where where we're going to land with that train of thought with that idea as a former consultant Mm -hmm. this breaks my heart okay i mean i consulted and ladies and gentlemen of the jury i hold myself up as a nonpartisan person yeah i vote center left these days okay but i have voted for republicans in my life okay i've worked on republican campaigns in my life back when moderates were a thing, okay? Mm -hmm. Back when they stayed out of your bedroom and didn't tell you what to do with your body or what books to read or stuff like that. So when I worked with talk shows, which I did 28 years of my life, you can look it up. I trained some Republican talk show hosts. Yes, I did. And I always trained them the same way. Be entertaining and be fair. If you're going to do a show where you have guests, but you scream at them and you're mean, maybe it'll get your ratings, but you'll lose your soul. Okay. And you'll also lose a large number of listeners who could have been your friends. 
There's nothing wrong with having a talk show where you let different factions have their say without turning it into a shout fest or a hate fest. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. how I trained conservative talk show hosts, who many of whom went on to become very successful, whether I agreed with their politics or not. It was just basically be respectful of your audience. Okay. And I don't hear a lot of talk shows on the right these days. I'm sure there are a few, okay, because it's a big country, but I don't hear a lot of the syndicated talk shows that are fair to the audience. When I listen to what right-wing talk show hosts say about me, not like me, Donna, but as a person mm -hmm. who is uh, center-left, you know, blue state, this and that, I don't recognize myself. I'm like, what? That's what I believe? <laughs> yeah. Huh. Imagine my surprise. I did not know that. So when you hear people just regurgitating these stereotypes, they heard it on talk radio. Okay. They heard it on talk shows with commentators like Tucker Carlson. Sorry, Tucker. Tucker used to be this just like mainstream kind of snarky Republican. But he got Victor Orbanized. I mean, mm -hmm. he got just like taken to the extreme right. And yeah, it's been great for his ratings, but I keep repeating, it's been terrible for our democracy. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And you mentioned Neil uh, a couple of seconds ago. So let's talk about this parable called The Trees from Russia's Hemispheres album. And for the edification of people who haven't heard this song before, Either I could read the lyrics or you could read the lyrics, but I've got my copy of the lyrics right here. So I'll, I'll read these words so everyone knows what we're talking hey, about. You're an announcer, and this is why they pay you the big bucks. <laughs> okay, so put, I'll on, put on your announcer voice here. I'll try not to sing it like Getty Lee. I'll just I'll uh, say it. I'll just read it. The narrator it. said. <laughs> right. There is unrest in the forest, trouble with the trees, for the maples want more sunlight and the oaks ignore their pleas. The trouble with the maples, and they're quite convinced they're right. They say the oaks are just too lofty, and they grab up all the light. But the oaks can't help their feelings if they like the way they're made, and they wonder why the maples can't be happy in their shade. There is trouble in the forest, and all the creatures have fled. As the maples scream, oppression, and the oaks just shake their heads. So the maples formed a union and demanded equal rights. They say, the oaks are just too greedy. We will make them give us light. Now there's no more oak oppression, for they passed a noble law, and the trees are all kept equal by hatchet, axe, and saw. And that is Neil Peart's lyrics for The Trees. This is the Rush song that I think I have the most trouble with, content-wise. Musically, it's a wonderful song, but the words, I just can't embrace the words because it feels like to me, Neil Peart is kind of wagging his finger at the unintended consequences of equality from his point of view. It's sort of like he's saying, be careful what you wish for. Boom. And that's, that's, that's how I see it. One of, one of the reasons the song always made me uncomfortable, okay? And I love Neil, but again, back to where he was when he wrote it. Yes. He was still being influenced by that whole Ayn Rand school of thought. Mm -hmm. where it was like, the, there's the superior man and then there's the inferior man. Now, it never comes out and says that, but that's the general gist, okay? That like some people are just meant to be superior 
And gee, those people are usually men. Now, the verse about the oaks and the maples and the one, you know, they can't help their feelings. They like the way they're made and they can't understand why can't the maples just be happier in their shade? Mm -hmm. Why can't the maples just be happier with less shade? Yeah. In 1980, I was the assistant program director at a radio station in Boston, Long Gone. Mm -hmm. Assistant program director over at WHDH Radio in Boston. And I found out that my male assistant was making $200 a week more <sighs> than I was. I went into the general manager and I was not amused. Okay. And I went into the general manager and I said to him, let's call him Charlie. I said to him, Charlie, I just found out that I'm making $200 a week less than my assistant. And the general manager looked at me with a straight face and said, but Donna, you're making excellent money for a woman. For a woman. Uh, and then he said, and besides, he has a family to support. You don't. You have a boyfriend that does really well. And I said, first of all, he doesn't have a family to support. He's single. But second of all, even if he did have a family to support, what's that got to do with anything? Are no. you paying him for his ability to procreate? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm the manager. He's my assistant. I support his right to make a decent salary. But why am I getting a discount for being female? I don't get a discount on my rent because I'm female. I don't get a discount on my car payment because I'm female, but I'm supposed to get a discount on my salary because I'm female. And by the way, what does my boyfriend have to do with anything? <laughs> and how do you know how much he makes? And how do you know whether he gives it to me? The truth is I've been supporting myself for quite a few years now and I want equal pay. And it never occurred to my general manager that a woman should get equal pay. It was like, yes, but you know, the, the why can't you maples be happy with less shade, you know? Mm -hmm. And the fact that we form a union and notice the word screams, we scream, okay? Like very unpleasant word there. Um, women were often referred to as strident. You know, Rush mm -hmm. Limbaugh referred to us as feminazis. Okay, like how dare we want equality? And in the end, the song goes, be careful what you wish for, because now everybody's being forced to be equal. And I'm sitting there like, and that's bad how? Yeah. Um, what's wrong with, for example, years ago, and I've been honest about this on your show and on anyone else's that wanted to ask. I am your basic straight person. I am married to a guy, been married to him for 35 years by the grace of God. Can you imagine someone putting up with me for 35 years? But my point is, I never believed in what used to be called gay marriage, okay? I just didn't think it was necessary. I thought, hey, civil unions, what's wrong with that? But then I met a number of gay people who were in committed relationships, but the state didn't recognize their relationship. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to have their relationship treated equal. And the more I thought about it, 
And Joe Biden came to the same place. The more I thought about it, and I'm mentioning Joe because we're in a similar demographic. I'm 75. He's a little bit older than me. But I'm saying we were all raised with those attitudes. And the more I thought about it, it was a particular colleague of mine who had been in a relationship with his partner for 28 years, and yet nobody would call it a marriage. Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about it, I was like, why should my gay friends have fewer rights than me? What's, I mean, who is harmed by gay people getting married? Yeah. And I couldn't think of anybody that was harmed by it. And I came around, as did many people of my generation. And now it's like, oh, marriage equality, whatever. Okay, what's wrong with being equal? What's wrong with Jews having the same rights as Christians? I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong with equality. Mm -hmm. So the lyrics to this song just seem to presuppose that it's okay if the Oaks are superior. It's okay if men are superior. It's okay if fill in the blank, you know, Christians, whoever. I, certain people are supposed to be superior. And I'm like, that is antithetical to everything else Russia's ever written. Yeah. I mean, maybe this was Neil on a bad day. I don't know. <laughs> but the fact is, I never talked to him about it. I'd be lying if I said I did. Yeah. But just knowing what I know about Neil, he did have a lot of very old-fashioned attitudes about gender roles back when he was younger. He gradually came around. God bless him. May he rest in peace. But I don't think it's useful to put him up on a pedestal. Oh, yes, he always had the right views. No, he didn't. There were some songs of Russia's that I look at them and I just want to cringe. And there's others that I look at them and I go, yeah, I can see where it probably means this. Oh, yeah. In the yeah. case of the trees, cringe. Mm -hmm. In the case of the trees, it's like, no, no, there's nothing wrong with saying that there is oppression. The attitude, for example, in Florida, where Ron DeSantis has tried to pass laws. In fact, a law did pass. He cleverly called it the Stop Woke Act, <sighs> where corporations are now no longer allowed to have diversity trainings. OK, and if you listen carefully, you'll hear the sound of lawyers lining up because that is a violation of free speech rights in a corporation. Mm -hmm. And if they want to teach people that equality is good and that prejudice is bad, that's their right. They should have every right to do that. I mean, seriously. So unfortunately, I think we have an attitude where the trees imply that the maple should be happier with less shade. The yeah, maple yeah. should be happier just living in the reflected glory of the oaks. And by the way, honey, can I have some tea? Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. want to type my letters for me? <laughs> when I was the music director at WMMS, I not only made less money than my male predecessor, but I was expected to type the general manager's logs. My male predecessor wasn't expected to type the weekly logs or the weekly reports, but I was. What, because I'm female and I was born with a typewriter in my hand? Mm. Really? No, no, I was born with a Jewish space laser. <laughs> so, so there's that. Uh -huh. But I just didn't know it back then. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but that's my point. This whole thing, to me, is a song that 
it just makes me uncomfortable. It does. And yeah. I understand, and people took me to task for it. I understand that not everybody shares my feminist reading of it. But this, again, is another case where if you are a white male or a black male, for that matter, or any other color male, you might see the song differently from how I do. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Neil would be fine with that. He really would. Yeah. So if you can find another meaning in the text, some people, oh, it's it's about communism and capitalism. And some people have told me, no, no, it's about America versus Canada. And I'm like, well, maybe. All of those things are possible interpretations, but so is mine. Yeah, he's pretty clear, though, about it being an equal rights thing and not oh, yeah. a you know sure wealth like distribution thing. He's not talking sure about seems wealth. seems like it to me. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think to and that And these extent, were, again, these are kids. Mm -hmm. These guys, they were young. They were out on the road. Yeah. They were in a male-dominated profession where it's mostly men. And the women were supposed to be either groupies or secretaries. And this is the world where people could say to you with a straight face that you didn't deserve equal pay mm -hmm. because, you know, why would you, you know, I mean, what do you need equal pay for? And so on and so on. So for those that are missing the good old days, I wish you well, but <laughs> I think there are some things about modern life that are actually better. Yeah. And well, I would be very, very terrified if we all went backwards and had to go mm -hmm. back to those days when some animals were more equal than others. Yeah, yeah. And just going back to a point you made about Neil's age and where the band was, I think they were in their middle 20s or something yes. like that at yes. that point in time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so I think maybe Neil as a lyricist, as a fledgling lyricist, yes. that yes. he was enthralled with the cleverness Absolutely. of the metaphor. And quite honestly, as a metaphor, it actually kind of works if you agree Indeed. with that and point he of said, view. He said later that he saw a cartoon with trees yeah. and he thought like, wouldn't it be cool if trees acted like people or people acted like, I get that. That's a good revisionist years mm -hmm. later, here's why I did it kind of thing. Yeah. But it also is very possible mm -hmm. that Neil, who grew up with gender roles, thought that like, oh, no, nothing wrong with men do this, women do that. Yeah. And for those that were affected positively by it, sure. Mm -hmm. It probably did seem like a good thing. Well, the, most... the rest of us, not so much. Okay, stand by. Don't nobody move. Quick break. We'll be back with more show right after these words. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure 
how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Bob Seska plays more music. Uh, and the most shocking thing to me about this set of song lyrics is the way it all ends, which is kind of to say that if everyone's equal, then no one is. Yep. Which is a, a strange comment. And then it would have to be forced. Yeah, Catch yeah. and accent song. Yeah, but the, all, yeah all the trees. Down. Yeah. All the trees are done. Yep. They're, all the trees yep. are killed in this effort yep. to maintain this equality. Is, this is like the people on Fox News say, oh, the Democrats want to defund the... Pol-. I don't know one politician. <laughs> yeah. Not one, including Joe Biden. Kamala Harris. I have never heard a major politician in the Democratic Party say, hey, we're going to take away all the funding from the police. No, no one has said that. Yeah. Okay. On the other hand, if you want to have better policing, maybe you need to change some of your tactics. Maybe you need to look at certain of your methods, et cetera, et cetera. People have said that, but take a fringe point of view and try to make it seem like the norm. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. So like, here's the trees getting forced to be equal with hatchet accents. Look at what happens when feminists get their way. It's like forcing people. I'm not, I don't know yeah. <laughs> any feminist who wanted to see anyone forced to do anything. We did, however, said Donna, who's a second wave feminist and proud of it. We did, however, want to see a society where your genitalia didn't dictate your destiny, whether how you were born did not dictate what you became, whether just because you're male or just because you're female or just because you're trans or whatever you happen to be, you should be able to have the opportunity to succeed. And mm-hmm. frankly, I think Neil believed that. But I think he was going through a period of time where all of those old-fashioned attitudes that were so prominent in the culture were also prominent in his life in some aspects. Yeah. He later evolved, and mm-hmm. this we did talk about. He said, Donna, it really bothers me. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, it really bothers me when people expect me to have the same attitudes I had 20 years ago. Amen. Okay. He said, like, yeah, I was a big fan of Ayn Rand. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I moved on. Yes. And people are still like, yes, but you said, I owe my, 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 and I'm so grateful. And yes, at the time, that's where I was. Mm -hmm. Just like. At the time, I believed all kinds of stuff. But these days, if you asked me, it's like, eh, maybe that got me to where I was. Yeah, okay? Yeah. Like John Rutsey, God rest his soul. First drummer John for Rutsey Rush, yeah. It was his birthday the other day, if he, if he had lived. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people that like to trash that first album. Oh, it's so primitive, and the songs are so simplistic, and the lyrics aren't that great. Maybe, but you know what? We wouldn't have Rush 
if it weren't for that first album. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I think Working Man holds up even today as a great piece of rock and roll. I will not disavow it in any way. In fact, even Neil came to embrace it. I mean, I'm sure at first it felt kind of awkward for him playing a song that he didn't write that was just not in the progressive tradition, but he got it. Mm -hmm. He understood its importance to the fans. And God rest John Rutsey. At the time, what was needed was a three-chord rock and roll bar band. That's what was needed. That's what John Rutsey delivered. Could he have become more progressive? Could he have written better lyrics? We'll never know. He was a diabetic. He was not taking care of himself because he was a kid, but also because of the fact that it was really hard to be a diabetic back then. Mm -hmm. He got dealt a very bad hand. Today, you got your little finger stick, you got your little meter, you go on and live your life, you play Major League Baseball, you do whatever you want to do. Back then, if you were severely diabetic, you had better live near a hospital because if you needed insulin, boy, howdy, you know, none of this portable stuff, you know? So ultimately... It wasn't going to work for him to be out on the road 300 days a year in city after city. We'll never know what kind of lyrics he might have written. But I'll tell you this. I will always be grateful for his contribution to that first album and to Working Men. Because when I dropped the needle on that record, I knew immediately that that was a perfect record for Cleveland, that it articulated the views of the average working person. And I think Rutsey knew that too. And I think that's why the guys wrote it. And I think there are flashes of brilliance Mm -hmm. on that first album. But looking back, sure, the way Rush was in 1974 versus the way they were in 1994, of course, there were changes. Of course, there was an evolution. Absolutely. And as Neil said, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Why yeah. do people expect, oh, I'm going to have this view forever? Um, Times change. Yeah, they do. People have to adapt. Now, your basic core, sure. My basic ethics are pretty unchanged from the time I was a kid. My mother raised me to be honest. My mother raised me to be courteous. You will never see me slinging insults on social media or cursing people or, you know, partially because I represent the university that pays my salary, but also partially because my mother would be spinning in her grave. Hmm. I wasn't raised to talk to people that way. Now, do I get passionate about issues? Hey, you've been listening to me on this podcast. Do I sound like I'm really, you know, irate about you? Of course. Do I sound like I'm really excited about that? Of course. But the reality is you can still do that and be courteous. Okay. So those things haven't changed. I still try to be honest. I still try to do a mitzvah wherever I can. I try to make the world better wherever I can. But as far as my views on certain subjects, yeah, like I said, I support marriage equality now. If you would ask me years ago, I would have said, yeah, right. Okay. Decriminalization of marijuana. I don't smoke. I never have. I didn't try it. I have no interest in trying it. I'm just not into those kinds of, sorry. But on the other hand, I'm also no longer feeling like, wow, we should punish people that do that. That's what I was raised with. I was raised in a world where 
all of those things were treated equally bad Mm -hmm. and you should go to jail. I, nah, nah. I absolutely recognize medical marijuana. I absolutely believe that what you do in your own home is your own business. But if you had asked me that in the 1950s, given the attitudes back then, uh-uh, I would have just parroted back what everybody in the culture was saying. So my point is, we've all changed on some levels. Yeah. We've all yeah. changed in some ways. That isn't bad. Only in politics do we make people wrong for the fact that they got new information and they changed. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. again, if you're a hypocrite, then yeah, shame on you. If you're Mitch McConnell and like, you know, Merrick Garland, no hearing, Amy Coney Barrett on the court in three weeks. Okay, that's hypocrisy. Yeah. But if you sincerely have looked at an issue and come to believe that like, you know what I used to believe, maybe that's where I was at the time, but it no longer represents me. Mm -hmm. Marvelous picture of me applauding you. And that's what Neil was trying to say. So would he write the trees today if he were still alive? Maybe. But then again, maybe not, because I saw a lot of his attitudes about a lot of things change over the years. Mm -hmm. What never changed was his injunction to us, his request to us, be critical thinkers. Use your brain. His mind is not for rent to any God or government. Don't just give over your mind, your brain, your attitude to someone else. Don't let someone else think your thoughts for you. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Don't go along with what everybody else is doing. So in that regard, yeah, maybe Neil would have written that song. But then again, Maybe he wouldn't. I think my educated assumption would be that he would approve of the conversation we just had about the trees. And I want to say that in the context of us being immense fans of Rush music. And everyone knows that about us. There's no doubt well, about it. Inv- I'm yeah. still in touch. Yes. I'm still in touch. And, and you made them famous as a music director at WMMS. There's just this one set of lyrics that it's I think don't sit well it's with us. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. know what? You know what? Over a long career, mm-hmm. like I like Barack Obama. Yeah. Okay. I miss him. I really do. Me too. But I've looked at his voting record over the years. There's things he voted for or <laughs> things he supported that I was like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And maybe he had a reason. Maybe whatever, maybe whatever. But the fact still remains. I don't care who it is. There's going to be things you disagree with. And that's okay. I Mm. think that's what Neil was saying, all right? I don't think that Shakespeare went to his grave thinking, hey, everybody ought to know what my plays mean. No, actually, everybody didn't. And even when he lived, even when he performed them, even when he was promoting his own work, I promise you, people went to his plays and they were like, boy, I like this character. I'm not really fond of that one. Mm. And that particular soliloquy, I don't know if I agree with Hamlet. I don't know. (laughs) And when Cordelia said, this has been going on since the beginning of time. And I wish we had more of this. What I love, again, and I'm going to sound like a shill, but I don't care. Okay. What I love about being on your podcast And what I love about being on several other people's podcasts 
is the fact that we can engage in these discussions and there's no particular way they have to come out. That's right. I don't have to like, oh, well, it's obvious that X is true. There's none of that. Even if you and I may differ on a perspective about something, we're still going to be friends. And that's what we need more of. We need to be able to express our differences with each other, learn from each other, Mm -hmm. and then go out and get an ice cream, okay? Because the (laughs) fact that we don't agree on every single thing isn't necessarily terrible. I mean, back to the weed issue, I would wager that you and I see weed differently. I would wager that the fact that I've never done it makes me different from you. Would I be correct in wagering that? Um, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, sure. But so what? Yeah. Can we still be friends? <laughs> exactly. My point. Am I trying to impose on you that, like, you know, you should never have done that, Bobby? I, not at no, all. No. Nope. Not in the least. I'm just kind of like, I found a lifestyle for me that works. Mm-hmm. And what works for me is I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. There's no pat on the shoulder. I'm not expecting a marching band. I'm saying every person has to decide how they want to be healthy and how they want to be ethical and how they want to live their life. The guys in Rush, they did a lot more partying in their younger years than they did in their later years when they were family men. That was real important to the guys that they be good role models. Now, did they spend their time reading the Bible? Probably not, okay? And yet on the other hand, they promoted ethics. Mm -hmm. They promoted hard work. They promoted kindness. So if you'd ask them in their younger years, hey, let's party. If you ask them in their later years, eh, not so much. Mm -hmm. So what's wrong with that? And you know what? And I've said this before and I'll say it again. One of the things I always loved about the guys, they never made me wrong for the fact that I didn't do any of those things. Oh, of course. Whenever they would have me backstage, they always made sure there was juice and salads and ice cream and, you know, stuff that I could eat. (laughs) And they never did any drugs around me. They never did ever. And it wasn't because like, well, you just weren't where they were. Yeah, I was. I absolutely was sometimes. (laughs) But they just didn't do that stuff around me out of respect for who I was. And I thought that was very courteous and I appreciated it. They didn't have to do that, okay? And it was their way of showing respect for how I lived my life. And that's exactly how they always were, respectful. Now, did they ever have a person they were not respectful? Of course, they, they're human beings, and I'm sure we could all point to a conversation where they said something they shouldn't have said. They're people, but I'm saying overall, They were not particularly judgmental. They just weren't. All they wanted was ethics and critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's all I want. And I'd wager that's all you want to. Oh, absolutely. And more reasons why I think we love this band so much. It's beyond the music. It's the players themselves. It's the members of the band and their work ethic and their worldview and their attitude toward other people. It's- And, uh, And this band has brought me together. Yeah. With people that I never would have been together with otherwise. Not because we were like horrible individuals. We never would have gone to the same places. Mm -hmm. There's a real good chance, since you and I were both in the music industry, there's a real good chance we would have run into each other. Would we have become friends? I don't know. But thanks 
to our common love of Rush, we started talking to each other. We started discussing X, Y, and Z. Then we found we had other stuff in common. That has been a thread in my life. There is a worldwide community of Rush fans. We all talk to each other. We all get along with each other. Would we have all been friends otherwise? Maybe not. But the fact is, this band has brought together so many people from so many places, lefties, righties, centrists, atheists, believers, this one, that one. And yet we all have one thing in common. We all love Rush and we all believe in ethics and critical thinking. That's right. What's wrong with that? Nah, nothing, nothing at all. Well, Donna, I think we've come to the end of our time here on the show today. Thank you again for uh, being here and being you and being excellent. <laughs> I could do this. I hope I was okay. I always worry about like, am I the boring guest? Am I the one that people <laughs> like, oh my God, Donna's on. No! Not at all. Oh my God. If that were the case, we would have stopped after the first talk that we had here but you've been on many many times and you will be on many many more times i really do well so do i absolutely so where can people find your writing uh your tweets and everything else your blog i'm just a google away i mean just google Mm -hmm. donna halper yeah there you go or you know as i said if you're interested in baseball you can find my stuff on saber which is www.sabr.org Okay. Um, you can find a lot of my freelance articles just by Googling my name. I have a website, DonnaHalper.com. On Twitter, I'm Devora Leah, which is my Hebrew name, D-E-V-O-R-A-H. L-E-A-H. And if you couldn't remember that, just Google Donna Halper. It'll probably come up. Um, I'm out there constantly. I do public speaking. I do, you know, if your library or your civic organization wants to bring me in for a talk, I do. I speak and lecture all over the country. I love doing it. Have a tremendous amount of fun with it. And uh, like I said, Rush changed my life. Yeah, and mine too. Always always be grateful what one act of kindness bob roper sending me that record (laughs) me deciding to give an unknown unsigned band a chance on and on and on and look how the ripples of those acts of kindness changed so many lives bobby thank you it's incredible thank you donna you're the best so appreciate it much love to you much (laughs) love to the fans same to you we'll talk to you next time credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 